God of all creation, this morning we are reminded of who you are. You have reminded us and encouraged us with the good news of Jesus as we've sung and read your word. And so now as we prepare to sit under your word, would you mark us with the reality that we are creatures of your word? That it is your gospel word to us in Christ by your spirit that brought us to life. And as we sit under the preaching of your word, that that we are not just listening to some preacher giving a history lesson or entertaining us with stories or or burdening us with the list of to-dos. We are being revived and restored by the power of your word in the hands of your spirit, in the mouth of your preacher, as a gift to your people. Would you revive those who are here this morning that might be dead in sin, that don't know you? Would you restore broken hearts and broken relationships? Would you encourage the weak and humble the strong? Would you challenge those who are wandering from you? Strengthen those who are faltering and doubting. Keep us from temptation to sin, from the desire to be about ideas and philosophies more than the family of Christ and the life of the kingdom in this particular community. We so desperately need you to make us more like Jesus. And there are so many that live around us that desperately need your salvation and need your church to be your church. Would you continue to shape us here as an outpost of your new creation life in Streamwood for your glory, for the good of our neighbors, and truly for the good of our own hearts? Teach us and reteach us and re-reteach us to die to ourselves, to our own preferences and our own comforts, and to live our lives for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of others. Help us to trust in you to provide everything that we need when you call us to that self-sacrifice. Make us wise and discerning and loving and humble. And Lord, we also pray together with our extended church family worshiping in West Chicago in both English and Spanish that you would make them more like Jesus as well. That the power of your word preached here and preached there would reverberate in our hearts as a church community throughout this week. That you would bring sin to life. That you would cultivate the gifts you have given this church body. That you would help us to be your kingdom people all over the place. Lord, this morning we pray expectant, expecting you to be who you say you are and do what you say you will do, expecting you to advance your kingdom through your people in in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, our homes. Lord, we ask that you would make us humble enough to receive your kingdom ways in and among us. Continue to work in our hearts this morning as we reflect on these questions, on these cards. Bring to mind how you are calling us to live on mission here and now. Draw out of us what holds us back. And and Lord, help us to be creative as we consider next steps. But Lord, as we approach your word, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning that we might see wonderful things in your word. That you might change us by your word. Would you use your, your, your scriptures and your preacher to make us look more like Jesus this morning. We pray all of this in and according to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, uh, praying for the preacher this morning is not self-serving, uh, although I need as much prayer as I can get. Um, this morning, I, I get the honor of introducing uh, our local Missions Fest preacher, Paco Amador. Now, Paco, we got the picture up on the screen. He was born in Mexico City, and he trained at Moody. But during that time at Moody, he fell in love with the, the little village community in Chicago where he now pastors a New Life community church there, New Life Little Village. But, but before that, he was a missionary in Spain. He worked in Chicago's Lawndale Christian Health Center, and he actually taught elementary school for nine years. The Lord has gifted him and his wife, Sylvie, with seven, cho- that's seven children? Eight. Eight children. Goodness gracious. 
Uh, I've got only two and I can barely keep up. The Lord has also gifted Paco with the uh, pastor Paco with the, uh, some kind of internal system that I'm trying to figure out that I think dispenses some kind of like espresso type energy everywhere he goes. L the light of the world, yes, but also the energy of the world. I, I don't, you'll see what I mean in a moment. Uh, but just like we did last Sunday, we're going to have some time after the service. I want to invite you right out there in the atrium. We're going to have some time to talk with Paco. He's going to have questions that, that I'm going to ask him, that you can ask him, and even us to consider how the Lord is calling us to be a local witness right here in Streamwood and to set expectations, right? It'll start about 10 to 15 minutes after the service. So grab coffee, grab some food, but, but come hang out and let's talk together about how the Lord is working uh, in and among us. But I'm also, before I invite Pastor Paco, going to open up the word here and read from our text this morning. Um, like we do at TVC, we like to stand up for the reading of God's word. So I invite you to stand this morning. We're going to be reading from Matthew 5. This is the, the passage that uh, Pastor Paco's preaching from. And I'm going to read the first 16 verses. And if you're joining us online, I want to invite you as well to stand with us as we read from God's word together. So Matthew 5, 1 through 16. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the, the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the, the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For, for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A, a, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is God's word. You may be seated. Go ahead, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. He, um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. And, and he, he preaches the introduction. I felt like, wow, I felt like, man, that guy's cool. I was like, oh, that's me that he's talking about. And um, <laughs> hey, my, my name is Paco, and uh, it's very good to be with you. I really do feel at home being with you. And uh, so January 2017, uh, Sam Rodriguez, uh, the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference is a long name. It's the largest gathering of Latino evangelicals in the U.S. Was invited to pray for President Trump's inauguration. And I know Sam some, uh, and I like him a lot. And I was naturally curious about what he would pray. Um, especially knowing that this was a very contested election. Uh, lots of fire coming out of that election. Um, you might even point to that point. And um, 
at that moment in history in America where um, there was a great tear in the midst of this land, uh, especially also because this was a first, the first Latino evangelical pastor ever to be invited in the U.S. to pray at such a high-profile event. So being a Latino evangelical pastor in the United States myself, I didn't want to miss this moment. And so Sam walked up to the podium, he opened his Bible, and he prayed the Beatitudes. And to say that these words are so ill-fitting for such an occasion would be an understatement. In what could be considered the most impressive of human events, inaugurating an American president, here's a pastor praying, praying blessings over the poor, the meek, the weeping, and then he finished by saying, respectfully, in the name of Jesus, and sat down. And he did the entire thing in one minute and 30 seconds. I was like even impressed. Um, I've been praying the Beatitudes daily for several years now, and I can assure you at least three things. Number one is that I'm not totally sure that I fully understand what Jesus was talking about. Jesus puzzles me. Number two is that repeating these words in a very real way, those words mark the inauguration of another kingdom, not the American kingdom, but God's kingdom on earth has had an absolutely destabilizing effect in me. I found myself like a drunk trying to walk a straight line, what the world feeds me regularly and what Jesus highly values is completely opposite. It's like being a, a, in a ping pong match and I'm the fluffy little white ball. And listen to um, what, uh, what Dallas Willard would regularly ask his students to write Beatitudes, to search their hearts and see who they were truly blessing constantly. As Americans, what are you highlighting in your life? And so he would say, are you blessing who Jesus blesses? He would tell him, go home. He would say, and write a beatitude. This is the third thing that I've just been thinking about a lot is that I, the more I meditate on Jesus' beatitudes, the more a fresh new love for the king continues to grow within me. Yes, I am puzzled, but more than, uh, than anything, I am captivated. Who is this guy? Who is this king? He's amazing. He's a king like none other. My purpose this morning for you today, for us today, uh, I love being here. I really do love being here. Uh, I love it because it's not a large, big church. I feel like you have a sense of family, and I love that. I'm much more used to that. The only thing I'm not used to is being way up here. No, I wish I was like way down there, and I, and I wish you guys would all sit a little bit forward, but I do understand that the front chairs have, been, have a purpose, you know. They're like the the blocking of you from the message. I'm just kidding. Um, make you a little bit more comfortable. You know, like, I, I understand that. That happens at the church where I preach as well. Um, but I, I love you, and I, uh, my desire for you and for me is that from the midst of your busyness, jobs, studies, projects, families, deadlines, 
ministry, relationships, goals, dreams, that the overarching passion may continue to grow in you of being a destabilizing in you by Jesus. Growing, a growing love for Jesus, for the King, fresh and daily that would shake everything in you and push you. Can we listen to the Beatitudes again for just one moment? Now, mind you, Jesus is not talking to the Romans. And if you want to find, if we want to find our place in the Beatitudes, we are definitely not the poor, the persecuted peasants of the Middle East. Uh, you know, I know that people talk about, you know, it's like, Evangelicals being persecuted while we are sipping our frappuccinos. And uh, that would be a very sweet persecution, really. Uh, you and I are not the poor and oppressed in any sense. If you and I want to hear ourselves into the story, we are much more like the Romans. And as Jesus proclaimed his message... To the crowds around them, the Romans would not hear it as good news. They would hear it as an affront to them, as a beating up the system where they are much more enjoying life. This is something good for me. And so those who are hearing the Beatitudes would hear it not as a force against them, but as good news. The Bible says that as Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came up to him and he began to say, blessed, or like Eugene Peterson says, wonderful, I'm sorry, uh, congratulations, or N.T. Wright says, wonderful news for you who are lousy at being spiritual. That's most people. You're just not good at being spiritual. Because my kingdom is tailored made for you. Wonderful news. Congratulations to you who are weeping. Because in my kingdom, you will find a people who would know how to take your tears away. Wonderful news for you who are meek. Or for you who end up always being at the end. If you look in a normal playground in America... You would find not the jocks that are like, yeah, or the girls who are like hanging out and looking at their phone, looking at how beautiful they are. You would see a little girl, maybe chubby little girl, chubby little boy in the corner who nobody is looking at, playing by himself. Some of you are teachers. You know what I'm talking about. Wonderful news for you. Because in my kingdom, you won't have to fight to be recognized Instead, you will receive the earth as a gift. Wonderful news for you who are hungry and thirsty for the world to be made right again. For justice, that little word justice means equity. For you to be treated as everybody else is treated. Wonderful news for you who are sick and tired of the systems of this world who don't deliver to most people, they deliver to a very small minority. Because in my kingdom, as you taste my kingdom, as you see the church active, you will finally be 
satisfied. Wonderful news for you. Congratulations to you who have the nasty habit of giving mercy to those who should be taught a lesson, to those who just, you know, like they don't deserve mercy because in my kingdom you will receive mercy when you most need it. Wonderful news for you who are pure in heart, or let's say it this way, wonderful news for you who are always picky about everything, who can never find anybody who's good enough. Your standards are so high that you just feel like, ah, man, all sick and tired all the time because you will see God. In my kingdom, you will see what God is really like, and that will change your world. Wonderful news for you who are peacemakers. Now, mind you, in a world where the peasant Israelites have been conquered by the Romans to say peace does not mean something cool or good. It means to surrender, to, to, be, uh, to, is to be a traitor to your own people. Wonderful news for you who always tend to say, let's just find some peace. Because people will recognize that you will recognize in my kingdom that God is just like that. Wonderful news for you who are persecuted when you work for something that is good. When you stand up in the middle of your class and say, we shouldn't treat people like that. And then everybody else just goes against you, demote you, make fun of you. Because my kingdom is tailor-made for you. I want to give you four quick observations about the Beatitudes. And then I want to take some time to just look at them. Uh, just individually, quickly. You know, this is kind of like an overview. I, I am mindful of my time. Um, Here's four quick observations to help us as we think of the Beatitudes. Number one, who was Jesus speaking these words to? If you go back in your Bible to chapter 4, Matthew describes the crowds. And chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, and he says that all who were ill with various diseases, I mean, think about that, not just ill with one, with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, man, what kind of place is that? And the paralyzed. Again, this Dallas Willard, he says these are the crushed ones. Jesus was speaking to the crushed ones. Uh, and so Jesus tells them, it's uh, speaking to the common people, the multitudes who through him had found blessing in the kingdom. Jesus tells them it is they, not the best and the brightest. Who are they? The crushed ones, the flunk outs, the dropouts, the burnouts, the broken, the broke, the drug heads, the divorced, the HIV positive, the herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren, the pregnant too many times, or the pregnant at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents and ch with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in the rest home, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved, the emotionally 
dead, and on and on and on. And they, the large crowds from Galilee, it says in chapter 4, verse 25, from the Capolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, all of them, Matthew tells them, were following Jesus. Jesus is then giving this sermon to the unblessed and the unblessable of that society. Got to keep that in mind. Number two, the Beatitudes are not promises for the future, you know, like, you know, when we get to heaven, as if by using the word heaven, Jesus was referring to something future that we will get on to one day. No, heaven instead is the sphere where God's will is done right here, right now, and that's why he teaches us to pray, and when you pray, pray, your kingdom come and your will be done right here on earth as it is done in heaven. In the sphere where God is king, where, every, where the angels obey constantly, is right here as well. The kingdom of God right in our midst. So heaven, heaven's motion is for God's blessing to be experienced right here and right now. Each blessing is described in the present tense. Um, they are gifts from God being experienced then and there in Jesus. And this is my page four. I'm sorry. Um, the kingdom has truly arrived in the arrival of the king. Now, here's the third thing. Each of these blessings do not flow from a character quality of, say, the poor or the weeper. No. Instead, the blessing flows from the presence and ministry of love and compassion of the king. If you have ever read Tolkien's uh, Return of the King, the third book, or watched the extended version of the third movie, you will see one amazing detail from Tolkien. Aragorn, who is the exiled king, who's coming back to reclaim his city. You know what I'm talking about? If you're sitting there thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about, then take a little break. But uh, um, <laughs> he, he proves his kingship. Aragorn proves his kingship in the book. After the battle of Pelennor, by going to the houses of healing, any, any like Lord of Rings junkie there, and um, which are the hospitals, it, uh, the uh, hospitals of caring for those who had been wounded during the battle. And in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, as Aragorn touched and cared for the wounded, they were healed. The king would have. It says right there in the book, healing hands. And so as Aragorn is moving among the sick and the, you know, like the, the beaten, you know, the, the injured, and he would touch them and he would minister to them and he would work his hands into them. It says in the book that, that everyone started saying, that's the king. Why? Because he has healing hands. The blessings, this wonderful news described by Jesus have to do not had to do not with the person deserving that blessing, but with the king's healing hands working on us. Fourth thing, finally, the Beatitudes are not invitations to try harder or to show you what qualities you must strive for in this world. No, don't strive to be lousy spiritually don't strive to be the one weeping don't strive to be the one at the end of the line being pushed out and being you know being shoved aside no they are simply announcements good news and those 
who hear it as good news. Their ears perk, like, these are indeed good news, wonderful news, congratulations. Since the king has arrived, all and everyone who has been marginalized and left behind in the current arrangement of the world now have the opportunity to enjoy God's undeserved blessing. Jesus, in essence, is star-trekking them. In the words of N.T. Wright, Jesus was taking God's people somewhere where they never had been before. The Beatitudes are not good advice. They are gospel. Good news. For people who desperately need to hear something good. So let's, let's hear these Beatitudes just one more time. Give me a couple of minutes for each one. And then we'll, uh, uh, I want to tell you a story. And then I want to give you a challenge and then we'll be done. So the first blessing, the Beatitude, the first Beatitude. Wonderful news for those of you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the lousy spiritually, I wrote down in my notes. Those who are not very versed in the language or ways of the sages. Oh man, that's most everyone around here. Hector is an alcoholic. We have taken him to every drug and rehab, alcohol rehab place that I know of throughout the entire city of Chicago. And he continues to be an alcoholic, a drunk. But he is definitely a friend, except that sometimes he gets on my nerves. So one day, he just showed up during the week uh, to our food pantry, and he had decided he wanted to help the volunteers. I was at a meeting when somebody came running saying, hey, pastor, Hector took a knife out and began to threaten the volunteers. So I told him, hey, call 911, and then I ran downstairs. It turned out that he had been cousin out an older lady in charge because she told him what to do, and her son, who happened to be there, punched Hector in the face and knocked him to the ground. Hector got up, took a large blade, and accidentally ended up stabbing himself. By the time I got down there, he had run away. Together with another friend, we went looking after him. I wanted to give him a piece of my mind. Fed up with Hector. When we found him, we found him around the corner. We found him because as we ran, we found him. I was angry. He had caused an unnecessary commotion. He had threatened one of our volunteers. He had brought a knife to our, to our pantry. As I got close to him, we found him because he was talking to himself. He was yelling at himself. He was sitting around the corner. And as I got close to him, I sensed a warning from the spirit saying, watch out what you would say to Hector. As I leaned closer, I saw tears in his eyes, and he was looking down. He was bleeding, at, at speaking to himself. Stupid, dumb, why do you do that? At that very moment, I remember faintly but very firmly, since in the hand of the Spirit, saying to me, listen, Paco, I love Hector. My kingdom is tailor-made for people just like him. And when he realizes it, he will receive it as the greatest of news ever. Blessed are those who are lousy spiritually. Because in my kingdom, my kingdom belongs, it's tailor-made, it was fit perfectly for people just like him. Let's take a look at the second beatitude. Those who weep, blessed, in the midst of a culture obsessed with being happy, those who enter into their grief, instead of avoiding it, ignoring it, or denying their grief, they have the opportunity to find him through who, through his people, has the power to wipe the tears away. 
we have a great privilege, a great ministry to enter into people's pains and learn to weep with them. My sister went through an extremely invasive cancer. It's, not, it's now in remission, thank God. She's my oldest sister, um, you know, like the oldest sister and then three boys. And so um, usually my mom would actually call on her to go and yell at us because, you know, it was like, uh, she, was, she was like those who always get mercy. And my sister will always be like, hey, why do you let them get away with it? So my mom usually go to my sister and say, hey, can you go and yell at your brothers? Tell them not. So we fear our sister more than we fear our mom. Before her battle with cancer, she was, by her own admission, a very proud woman with very little need for anyone, God, or others. And one day after the cancer had been pushed back, we were talking on the phone. And in the midst of deep tears, we were both crying. She told me, hey, uh, this is like, you know, I'm the youngest one of, of that little, you know, we've had more kids since, my parents had more kids since then, so I'm just walking in that, you know. But, uh, um, but she was the oldest, I was the youngest, and so as we got older, we've had this very special relationship. And she said, she told me, I never thought I would say this, but I'm so thankful to God for this cancer. Without it, I would have never known how much God truly cares for me. Indeed, blessed are those who weep, because in their grief, they will have the opportunity to find him who through his people has the power to wipe their tears away. You and I. This community, this community is filled with tears. It might be dry tears. People who weep, and they don't know that there is a king and his people who can weep with them and lead them to green pastures. Third beatitude, the meek, inheriting, inheriting the earth is like, what? The meek gaining anything? I mean, it sounds funny, even unthinkable. Uh, like, look at any, any public school playground, and you will find that there's always one or two who play by themselves in a the corner. I think Jesus was referring to them. There's way more, many more of them than there is of the, yeah, yeah, you know? Like the three boys that are like, yeah, come on, like let's throw the football. I'm not saying anything bad about them, but I'm just saying that there's way many, many, many more in any high school, any public school around, and in any of the rest of our societies, gatherings, and the institutions of those that play in the corner by themselves, and they're just trying to stay quiet so that nobody will call on them because they are easy to play, to, they are easy to mock or make fun of. The meek. You know, like, when have the meek really gotten anything big? Uh, it's even unthinkable that they would get the earth. They might, you know, like in our current status, they might just get a, a certificate of participation. <laughs> when have the meek gained anything over the powerful, the violent, the bullies of our world? If you have ever referred to the White House as the most powerful office on earth, I've done that many times, or if you have ever chanted, like maybe in the Olympics or something like that, it's like, we're number one, we're number one, and believed it, then the Beatitudes should prove shocking to you. Jesus is saying that the meek like the, the, not the number one, but the number, you know, 327, they will 
when they come into my kingdom, they will, they, they will come out ahead, ahead of the violent, ahead of the powerful, ahead of the cutthroat. Here's a question. When was the last time that you even used the word meek? I don't even know what that means, really. I mean, it, just the one thing that comes up in my mind whenever I think of the word meek is that's an American. <laughs> but it seems to me that it has something to do with forgiving your enemies way too soon, blessing those who curse you. An image that comes to my mind is of someone who could respond violently in anger, they could claim the rights, but instead they bent their knees, trusting and praying. Jesus said to his disciples, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good will to give you the kingdom. Also in Psalm 2, ask me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Blessed are the meek, for they will, have, they will not have to battle for a little piece of the earth. Instead, they will receive it as a gift. That's good news. Fourth beatitude, hunger and thirst for justice. The first thing that has been coming to my mind lately when I pray through this beatitude is the Amazonian natives who are being hunted by cattle rangers, landowners, people intentionally burning their lands in Brazil and, you know, like northern Brazil in order to till their forests, their entire homes, so we can enjoy some juicy burgers of a cow which will pasture in their native tribes, blood-stained fields. And then, who can they go to? Who can they say, hey, like, stop, stop. I live in a neighborhood where people, um, you know, people who have no documents, uh, you know, to be here, they end up going to Home Depot and they, you know, they sit outside and then cars come by, trucks come by and they say, hey, I'm looking for a worker who, you know, who can do a wall, like cement or, you know, the, the roof. And so people jump up, like, I, I can do it, I can do it. Usually it's very hard labor and not very skilled. So people jump in the truck and then they take him, work for a week, and at the end of the week, the boss, the person that hired him, straight looks at them in the eyes and says, I'm not going to pay you. And the guy's like, I've been working the whole week? Like, I mean... Like, and, and he says, I'm not going to pay you. What are you going to do? I'm going to report you to immigration. Get out of here. What would you and I do? I mean, we would be like, what? I mean, I'm bringing the entire might of the justice system over. Like, can the Thor's hammer. But if you're undocumented, you kind of walk away. And you say, like, man, was it, is there like a divine, like, Referee that shows up and says, whoa, 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 that's a foul. Pay that guy. He worked for you. It's like, and that's just a little example of what happens all over our world. And the Amazons burn on and on and on, continue to burn. Have you ever cried out for justice like those native people? Like people who live constantly under the boot of oppression and injustice. Jesus saying, He's the king that brings hope to all of them. It is a serious mistake to think that Jesus was not political. People say that, you know, Jesus was not about politics. What a serious mistake. He was killed as a king. The theme that he talked about the most was his father's kingdom. 
What is true is that Jesus' politics are not like anything you and I or any human had ever experienced until Jesus came. I imagine us as Americans asking an angel of heaven. You know, like, think about this for a second. Thought about this several times. Like, talking to an angel, you know, just casual conversation, don't get known as, you know. Of course, the angel will have Starbucks or something like that. And uh, as Hey, um, so is God for Republicans or for, for us Democrats or for us Republicans? On which side? And the angel chuckles. <laughs> like, and he answers like he answered Joshua at the foot of the battle of Jericho. He's with none of you. He's for neither. God's justice is like no other human system of government we have ever invented ourselves. He says to those who hunger and thirst for true and lasting justice. Think about the church in Acts chapter 2. It's like this is an arrangement of humans in whom those who have much and those who have little, those who had much would actually sell their possessions so that no one had lacked among them. And if you enter saying, hey, I'm sick and tired of the systems of this world, then you walk in into a new society, a new gathering of people who are freely giving away for the good of others. Blessing the unblessed in the church family. Like this, you walk in and you say, he's like, this is what I've always been dreaming of. A society, an arrangement of humans who are not arranged by imposition of laws, but imposition of love. It's just love. To those who are hungering and thirsting for true and lasting justice, Jesus says, in my kingdom, you will finally feel right at home. Our thirst for justice will be fully satisfied under Jesus' kingship. Any amens? Fifth, the attitude, mercy, mercy. Blessed are those who give mercy to those who least deserve it. James said, mercy, what? Triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, Brian Sand, a pastor that I follow, um, says this. He, 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 he uses this illustration. He imagines himself standing at the Bema seat, the, ju- the judgment seat of God. And after God revealing his file, says, hey, Brian Sand, God pronounces, you were way too quick to give mercy, especially to those who really did not deserve it. Looks to his notes, says, and asks your punishment. You are hereby destined to receive mercy. I like that. Hey, but let's also imagine the opposite. What if you have developed this pattern of giving judgment way too freely? You are highly opinionated. Your highly opinionated ways shining forth wherever you go. I mean, nothing's ever good enough. You have a high standard, you say. You know, you kind of think that you are very deeply insightful. Beware, I say, of judging too harshly. One of, your, our, of our favorite human pastimes is to judge. Judge parents, judge professors, judge bosses, judge, you know, it's like what, 
what, what is Mark Zuckerberg doing? Like judging. It's like, we just, you know, what is Steve Jobs all about? What is, like, what are all these people doing? What's Jeff Bezos really thinking about? Is he wanting to conquer the world? Like, like we, we just the, judging leaders, judging pastors too, too freely. I'm not saying that we should not keep people accountable. But here's a newsflash. One day you will be the parents, the professors, the leaders, the pastors, or maybe that entire cycle has already happened in you. And with the measure with which you have measured others, you are now being measured. And one day, with that same measure, you will be measured. May at that time you be granted overwhelming mercy. Always. Let's err on the side of mercy. Several years ago, you know, I live in Chicago, and, uh, you know, of course, all the time people come and ask for money, especially in gas stations. You get, uh, gas stations and coming out of Dunkin' Donuts, those are the two places. You know, you better take it like an extra dollar <laughs> wherever you go to a gas station, something like that. And I remember it's just like there's always a running debate among city dwellers. Should you give money or not? You know, like you can say, well, I give to World Relief or, I, you know, I give to Compassion or whatever it is. It's like, you know, because who knows what they're going to use it on. I remember at some point just making a decision. If I have some money, I'm going to give it. It's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I don't care that this, like, or this person's going to take it and do whatever it is. I'm just going to err on the side of mercy. And I remember making that clear decision. I'm putting gas on, the, on, on, on my car, and this guy comes by, and as he taps my shoulder, I'm already thinking, I'm give, I, this is it. I, I know exactly what the conversation's going to be. By. And I said, hey, I am going to give you money, but I, I don't want to just give you money. I want to know your name. And he told me, my name is Love. I was like, no. And he took out his ID, and his need, indeed his name was Love. And I thought, that's an affirmation from God to me. Just, just give. You never know who you're giving to. Now I can say I've given to Love. <laughs> Err on the side of mercy. In my experience, there's always two parents, and one of them is like does the wrong thing, lets the kids with way too much mercy, right? And then the other parent is the one that you must teach them a lesson. And then eventually this is what happens. I've noticed it. It's like hey, all husbands and wives here present might be thinking, yep. <laughs> like, this is what I've noticed throughout my years. You know, I'm past 50. So, it's, you know, I, I thought maybe you realized that, hey, I'm like 34, but since I have eight kids, I have all this gray hair. But uh, I've noticed that there's a parent that always lives, yes, yes, mijo, yes, oh, yeah, just, oh, that's all right, just come and know. You crashed the car, just, and the other one's like, let's teach them a lesson. And I've noticed that there's this pattern of this one having this forehead like this all the time. And this one, eventually, the kids always run to this one. You ever notice that? And guess who those people are in our marriage? My kids always run to my wife. It's always like, let's think about it twice. Uh, let's, let's give him one more chance. Oh, my God, teach him a lesson. We have eight. You know, like, you know, got to put order in this home. And the kids then run to her. <laughs> 
And I'm saying it for personal experience. How about if we err on the side of mercy? Blessed are the pure in heart. Dallas Willard, like, let me just read you what he says. It's, it, it's shocking for me. It's destabilizing for me. And this is what he says. As far as the pure in heart, the ones for whom nothing is good enough, not even themselves, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These are the perfectionists. They are a pain to everyone, themselves most of all. In religion, they will certainly find errors in your doctrine, your practice, and probably your heart and your attitude. They may even be harder on themselves. They endlessly pick over their... Over, Pick over their own motivations. They, want, they wanted Jesus to wash his hands, even though they were not dirty, and call him a glutton and a wine bibber. Their food is never cooked right. Their clothes are in hair, are always unsatisfactory. They, they can tell you what's wrong with everything, how miserable they are, and yet the kingdom is even open to them. And there, at last, they will find something that will satisfy their pure heart. They will see God. Let's go to the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's go to the seventh beatitude. Eight is my last sheet. And um, peace, peacemakers. Peace for those, uh, for those days sounded among the Jewish people, sounded at best like surrender, at worst, like a sellout. Whoever worked for peace with the Romans was a traitor. The value of that day among Jewish people was not, let's make peace, but Avengers assemble. Those who labor for peace are people who stand in the gap. They are human bridges. To be a bridge means that others will step on you, just like they stepped on Jesus. All true peace honors the Prince of Peace, whether Christians that are involved or not. For Jesus' disciples, working for peace at macro and micro level is the family business. And it can only come at personal sacrifice. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The eighth beatitude, persecution. Blessed are the persecuted. How crazy, isn't it? Jesus gives two causes. Persecution for doing the right thing, standing for right cause, for justice, doing what God desires in our world, and persecution for me, Jesus says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Underline that, because of me. There is a deep reciprocal love mentioned here. You love me to the point of suffering for me. What awesome words. Remember the apostles walking out of a beating and counting themselves privileged to be able to suffer for the name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in God's realm. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who came before you. That little word, prophets, lead me to two challenges. And then I'll tell you a story and I'll finish. Prophets. What Jesus is saying, he's speaking to the whole crowds. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of people against you because of me. Rejoice and Luke says, be exceedingly glad, exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets. 
That means two things for us. This entire Beatitudes means two things for us today, right here, right now, I believe. I believe that the first thing that it is, is an evaluation tool for our hearts. It's an evaluation tool for our hearts. It's good to be American. I'm not saying it's bad or good or anything. I'm just saying, hey, are you more of a kingdom of God person or are you first an American and then the kingdom of God person next? And this is an evaluation tool. What are you valuing more? You're valuing more to be first, number one, step all over everybody else to get to your point or the other way around. Are you valuing those around your world that are broken? You just sang that song, man, it breaks my heart. We are in a world that is broken. Have you noticed it? Are you valuing what Jesus values? Is your heart constantly pressing to want to have more for me, for me, for me? Or is your heart constantly pressing, saying, hey, can I give more? Can I let go? Can I bless others? Can I look around the pain around me? Can I actually do something about that? That's the second thing. That's the second reason why I think the Beatitudes are powerfully speaking into our hearts. Because you and I have been invited to be a prophetic presence in the world. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad in the same way they persecuted the prophets that came before you. In other words, you and I are a prophetic presence when we value what Jesus values. During this last year, um, last, last, last May actually, um, COVID had hit our zip code in Chicago more than any other zip code in the United States. Or at that very moment, it was kind of like the epicenter of when America was at its height with COVID, um, our zip code. And uh, I remember just walking upside down, up, up and down our neighborhood, and just, uh, I, I remember the sense that, remember how in Egypt, when the final plague came in and hit, the Bible says that there, were, it, it, there was an outcry from the homes of the Egyptians, just pain flowing out of homes. I almost imagine being over Memphis and, and looking at and hearing angels hearing just cry and cry out, cry out, weeping loudly. And this last year, as I was walking down the street and just hearing people losing their jobs, people losing their breadwinners, people losing relatives, parents, uh, maybe mainly not young people, but um. And as a pastor, I walked down the streets of, like, just praying for our community. We couldn't meet. We couldn't be with each other. And I remember one day, I'm talking to this one guy, and, and the phone rings and rings and rings. And normally, I don't hang up on somebody who, you know, I'm talking to to answer another call. But I'm like, hey, man, this person has been calling me so many times, so let me call you back. And so I, I answered this other call, and on the, on the other side was uh, Claudia, and Claudia was saying that, Gigi's husband had just died, and I was like, just died. And what had happened, I was just a couple blocks away from Gigi's house as I was walking. And so uh, ours is a very walking community. And as I, um, uh, she said that her husband, who works at a meat factory, had come. He works overnight. He came that day, and he said, I don't feel so good. So wife, Gigi said, they just go and lay down. That's the thing you do. 
So he went and laid down, and he died. And, um, and my heart just broke. And so I, I just started making my way to Gija's house. And as I got there, I'm still talking on the phone, and, and I called Sylvia. And, of course, my wife says, I don't think you should go in. And I'm thinking, but Gija's husband just died. He's like there. He died. And so I, I walked in. You know, it was like back then, COVID, so many people dying. I was like, remember when we used to wear gloves and everything? And like, I, I don't know if you did. I did. It was like everybody in our community was, was gloves and everything. You had to take your clothes off and wash them all, maybe even burn them. I'm just kidding. But um, so I walked in, and the first thing that Gidget did is she was weeping, and she came, and she hugged me. And we just stood there for a good long time. And then I finally walked out. And as I walked out, I'm like walking fast towards my house. Just thinking, I need to get rid of these clothes, take a shower. It's like clean myself. And, and then my phone rang. And I felt like at that moment, I was just at the end of my rope. I was just at the, you know, at the foot of depression. And somebody called on the phone. You know, normally when I'm like really down, I don't answer most calls. But this is like a person that is usually, you know, there's, what is it? L- much grace people and and this was one of those guys that I normally like joyful and so I answer it's like hey how you doing and I was about to tell him what happened and he said hey pastor we just got a check from the government my wife and I were sitting here thinking it wouldn't be right for us to take a vacation but to fix our kitchen when people in our own community are dying and losing their livelihood So we both sat down and we thought, can we give this money to the church and can you funnel it to get it to people in our congregation and give it to them who've lost jobs? I was like, remember thinking, that's that's amazing. Yeah, 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 we'll do it. And so I kept on walking and somebody else called me within the same same walk. Said, hey, we just got a check from the government. And we thought, we don't need this. We have everything we need. Like, you know, none of us have lost our jobs. And so this is extra money. And it wouldn't be right for us to use this money to take a vacation, remodel the kitchen, you know, make a new washroom or whatever it is. When people in our own community, in our own congregation are suffering deeply, can we get it together? And can we give it to you and can we pass it? That night we had a hasty a hasty meeting, quick meeting. It's apparently a bunch of people who had gotten checks from the government and they did not want to use them. They, they started talking to others. And by the time we got to that Zoom meeting, I was sitting there and there's like 20 or so families. And at the end of that one month, we had raised $65,000 just from people who had received a check from the government. And they said, we don't want anyone to know who we are. Could, you just, could we just do this so that you, could, you and a couple of us pastors, um, could you guys just go and take this money to people in our congregation who needs it? Throughout the entire summer, I walked up to people's houses saying, hey, hermana, how are you? <laughs> like, I lost my husband. <laughs> said, hey, people in your congregation love you so much. They just... They know that they can't replace your husband, but we just want to serve you in some way. This is not me. It's not the whole church. It's just some people in the congregation that knew that you were in need. 
and they wanted to give you something to help you. All summer, the church never does this. Never, it's always like, hey, give your tithing. It's like, I, I've never done that as a pastor, going from house to house to house to house, saying the king has changed the entire flow of our society. Hey, would you close your eyes with me? This is what Jesus seemed to be saying. When you are maligned for doing what's right on behalf of the king and in the manner of the king, then you know that you are in the right track. Your presence is prophetic. Your life is going against the flow. You have become a loving community, salt of the earth, a city on the hill, like beautiful Jerusalem, shining forth for the world to see. And surprisingly and mysteriously, the world no longer sees you they see your good deeds, but give glory to your Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.